Hello, everybody, and welcome into the show, Blitz on the Balcony. I am your host, Zach Zook, and we got some interesting things to talk about today. I think we're going to keep it a little shorter, a little shorter. Everybody's got stuff going on. Everybody's still busy. Uh, so now that we've wrapped up the draft, we're kind of hitting a little bit of a lull, but I still have three really interesting topics to talk about. So rather than try to make the show longer, I feel like we'll just hit on these three topics and, uh, and move on to next week. Uh, the first thing I want to lead with is the Dak Prescott contract situation, because there's kind of a take I want to squat on here. Uh, something that I've been thinking about and, and that I think some of the more forward thinking progressive people uh, in football have been thinking about that could change the way we view the quarterback position uh, going forward. I want to talk a little bit about uh, USA Today released uh, projection record projection now based on the schedule. Obviously, I'm not gonna. I picked every game last year for fun, and I think I'll probably do that again this year. And that's what. And I included those records basically in my. Uh, Divisional previews, if you read those on bruiseonthebalcony.com. So we'll take a look at uh, this guy's projections. Uh, his name's Nate Davis, works for USA Today. thought it was pretty interesting. We can go back and look at his 2019 uh, predictions too and see how those panned out. And then we will move on to the South and uh, evaluate some of the draft picks. We did the East last week. We'll do the South this week and uh, see how these teams did. But first and foremost, I want to hit on the Dak Prescott thing because I think the way that the Cowboys have proceeded with this is interesting. Now, I think that they have mismanaged their cap pretty egregiously uh, in certain instances, but when it comes to Dak Prescott and the way they've decided to play this, I don't think that they are in the wrong here. In fact, I think depending on how this plays out, it could be extremely, extremely interesting uh, to see what happens with the Cowboys quarterback uh, position and how the team does moving forward. I also want to cover it from Dak's angle because I think he's being a little bit ignorant about the situation. Um, but first, Let's cover it from the Cowboys' perspective. The Cowboys hit on a, on Dak Prescott out of Mississippi State in a fourth-round quarterback, and he has vastly exceeded his draft slot. He has done an excellent job at exceeding what the Cowboys' expectations were for him. It is conceivable that Tony Romo would still be around had the Dak Prescott pick never happened. Eh, maybe that's a little rich. Maybe he'd be out of the league by now. But he certainly basically forced Tony into retirement because of his availability issues. And when Dak Prescott stepped in as a rookie, lit the world on fire, the Dallas Cowboys as a franchise never looked back. Now, a statistic on Dak Prescott here and the Cowboys, they have taken advantage of his rookie contract to build one of the best rosters in the NFC, certainly in the NFL. And that's the benefit of having a starting quarterback that you drafted in the fourth round. His salary is is a fraction of the cost of somebody like Justin Herbert or Tua Tagovailoa or Joe Burrow that we saw drafted in the top 10 this year. Or even Jordan Love, who was taken in the first round, fifth-year option. Substantial amount of money is being thrown around. Your financial commitment to a fourth-round draft pick is very minimal. 
a lot of fourth and fifth round draft picks don't make the team by the time their rookie contract expires, especially guys in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Sometimes they might not make the team their rookie year. I mean, they'll get put on practice squads. Well, Dak Prescott in the Cowboys and in, in where he was drafted in the financial commitment has put them at a huge advantage over the rest of the league. Statistically, the last three years, they have been paying their quarterback in terms of the, the salary they've committed to the quarterback position, 31st, 31st, and 32nd most in the league. They have had the cheapest quarterback in pro football. Their pro- projection once the Dak Prescott extension gets made, if it gets made, they will they will be projected to be paying their quarterback position the second most in the league. That is a significant jump. You go from having little to no money committed to the quarterback position to paying your quarterbacks one of the highest cap numbers in pro football between Dalton and now Prescott. So that will significantly alter the Cowboys' success. And I think that they have to be careful about that. I think they know this, and I think that's why the extension hasn't been done yet. Is Dak Prescott a good quarterback? Objectively, he is, without question. And I was tough on him at first. I thought after the rookie year, there was a whole lot of hype because he played for the Dallas Cowboys and the team was really good. I accurately predicted the sophomore slump he would have and then accurately predicted once everybody got down on him after the sophomore year that he'd come back the third year and be much better because he is a good quarterback but he's not a difference maker he's not and I had a colleague say this to me he's not the alpha dog on the team and I think that's an interesting way to think of quarterbacks like you're Deshaun Watson's your Patrick Mahomes your Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers Drew Brees Russell Wilson those guys are alpha dogs right they carry the offense uh, to victory they are the 1a of the offense then you have the quarterbacks that are still very good and serve a purpose like Kirk Cousins, like uh, Dak Prescott. I think Matt Stafford is a little bit between those two tiers. But your Derek Carrs, very good players, but not necessarily the sole reason for success on the offense, not the 1A of the offense. They rely on scheme to be successful. They rely on their teammates to be successful, and they rely on their defenses to be successful, right? They rely on the other 52 guys on the roster to have, at least in part, to have success. They don't do it by themselves. They don't have an ability to do it by themselves, right? And everybody needs help. Even, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, they need they need help from their teammates, right? There's a level of dependency and the quarterback can't do his job if the offensive line doesn't do their job and if the wide receiver doesn't do their job. However, the quarterback has the ability to overcome a lot of that with their play. And my point where I'm going with this is... Dak Prescott is not the type of player that can overcome those deficiencies. We've seen Russell Wilson do it for years in Seattle, overcome poor uh, offensive lines, overcome lack of receiving weapons on the edge. We see Deshaun Watson do it year in and year out, and he's about to do it again here in 2020 after they traded away his best receiver for pennies on the dollar. Uh, We see Patrick Mahomes do it with one of the worst defenses in the league uh, and really no run game to speak of. Uh, so Dak Prescott is not a quarterback that can carry your team to success in that vein. 
And the reason I bring this up is because when the moment you give him that extension and the moment you start allocating the second most resources in the NFL to the quarterback position, he has to be that guy. And that's why I think these quarterbacks on big salaries just get crushed and a little bit unfairly so. Is Kirk Cousins a bad quarterback? Certainly not. He had his best statistical season last year, won a road playoff game at the New Orleans Saints, one of the toughest places to play. He is a good quarterback, but he gets unfairly judged because of the price point that he's making. So he gets judged relative to his salary rather than relative to his ability. And I think that if the Cowboys are to give Dak what he wants, and clearly he has some sort of number in mind where he's not backing off of it, he feels he's worth a certain number, and the Cowboys aren't to this point willing to go there and I agree with the Cowboys from that perspective because I think they realize the second we make him the second highest paid quarterback in the league he's gonna have to play like it and we don't think he can carry the franchise in that manner now where they've mismanaged their salary cap is well you don't want to pay Dak that amount of money but yet you paid Zeke all that money let's give a you know a running back 20 million dollars that was where they made the error, and I think that it's fair to crush them for that. But I don't I don't think you can say, well, you paid Zeke, so you gotta pay Dak. No, they don't need to compound their mistakes. They can write out the Zeke contract, pray to God he doesn't get hurt, which to this point, he hasn't. So and if he continues the level of play, you can say the contract was worth it and it wasn't even a bad deal. You assumed a ton of risk, unnecessarily so. I think most would say recklessly so, especially what we've seen now with the Rams and Todd Gurley's situation. However, if he stays healthy and still is the workhorse back in Dallas throughout the throughout most of that contract, at least when the guaranteed money's at its highest, it's a it's a it's a fine signing, right? So when you couple that with the Dak Prescott saga and what has been probably the biggest story behind the Tom Brady uh, contract, when you couple those two things, I agree with the Cowboys. I would not give him what he's asking for. I would not pay him Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Patrick Mahomes money. I just wouldn't go there with him. And this is the kind of the take I've been squatting on. And I think some of the NFL could follow suit here. I think we could see this uh, make its way into the league. Now, I don't think it's a guarantee. Uh, I don't I don't know if we're going to see this play out. But I think we could, and I think it would be really interesting and a really kind of forward way of thinking about the quarterback position. We've seen more and more teams now build their team uh, from the defense and the running game up. You think about the guys that come from the Shanahan school of thought and the guys that are kind of running the league right now in Kyle Shanahan, in Sean McVay. Mike Vrabel does it a lot differently, but he still wins with the run game and defense. The Vikings under Zimmer, run game defense. Uh, Even the Bears under Matt Nagy, it's been run game defense. The Patriots, it's always been run game defense. We've seen more and more teams kind of get away from depending on the quarterback to do everything. Back in the day with the Saints and Drew Brees and the Packers, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, they rely on the quarterback to do so much. And I think we're starting to see a shift from that. Um, 
And because of that, I think that it's possible and plausible that we could see more teams signing quarterbacks and looking at them like the other positions on the roster rather than this special anomaly where you have to overdraft and overpay them and we just say, well, that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do for quarterbacks these days. I think we could start seeing teams start to think about it a little differently because look at the success that the Cowboys have had under Dak Prescott. And no, not every fourth round quarterback is going to do that. But if you spend a first or second round pick on a guy every four or five years, you could continue rolling over that rookie salary and keep a very, very competitive roster uh, employed because you'd have the cap space to do so. The Cowboys have one of the best rosters in the NFL. There's not really many holes. They have great receiving uh, in, in Amari Cooper and now C.D. Lamb. And Michael Gallup's not bad either. They have a, a, one of the top running backs in the league in Zeke Elliott. They have great linemen all over the board from uh, Zach Martin, the right guard, to Travis Frederick, the center, to Trevon Smith. I think it's, is it Smith? I think it's Trayvon Smith. Uh, Tyvon Smith, that's his name. Tyron Smith, the left tackle to then the defense. They have, you know, Jalen Smith in the middle with Leighton Vander Esch, the Demarcus Lawrence coming off the edge, and all the players in the secondary. They just had to let Byron Jones walk, but they have Jadobia Wuzie and all these playmakers on both sides of the ball. And when you pay a quarterback that much money, you can't have that team. It's just, it's what happens in a hard cap league. The Packers roster has always been at a disadvantage because they've paid Aaron Rodgers so much money. So I think that you could see teams that have the quarterback. Now, of course, the dream is to get the Aaron Rodgers, to get the Deshaun Watson, to get the Patrick Mahomes, right? That's the dream. And if you get one of those guys, yes, you pay them whatever they want and you you build the roster around them. But I think what we could see the Cowboys do, and I think they could be the first team to do this, is let Dak walk, bring the next guy in. You drop him into a system where you don't have to depend on him being the best player on the offense to win. You drop him into a situation in which he has a great roster around him, a great defense, a great run game, great protection, great weapons on the edge. You give him every opportunity to succeed. And then if he doesn't prove to be, you know, the, the alpha dog, you, you continue doing that. The rate of quarterbacks just being terrible has dropped in the last five years. Uh, we we in the NFL and in the media ha- have you know always prescribed to the theory that it's like a 50-50 proposition of whether the guy's even going to stick in the league or not. And I think when you go look back at the quarterbacks selected in you know the fa- past five plus years. There haven't really been many guys that have just washed out of the league. I mean, Trubisky is going to be the only one, I think, from 17, 18, 19 on. Even guys like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, while they haven't necessarily lived up to expectations, probably have some starting football left in them. Like, if I, do you think Derek Carr starting 16 games for the for the Raiders this year? I, I'd be that'd be an interesting prop bet. Do you think that Jameis Winston? isn't going to start if Drew Brees retires after this season? Absolutely he will. These guys are sticking around in the league. And my point is, 
if if you were able to draft a player like that and draft him onto an amazing roster, you can win that way. And the the trouble is the quarterback position takes time to develop. So your first year or two out of that rookie contract, if they don't have success immediately or they aren't as pro ready, then obviously you're you're at a disadvantage or you know you're having to take a year or two just to get that guy up to speed and then he's running out of his contract. So you need to definitely take that into consideration when you're evaluating your college level quarterbacks. Like you wouldn't take a guy like Jordan Love to come, you know, play on your team if you if you were prescribing to the theory of we want to have him for his rookie deal and if he doesn't prove to either be a top five QB in the league or ask for a fair salary, we're just going to let him walk and draft the next guy, then you obviously you're not going to take the Tua's that have injury concerns. You're not going to take the Jordan Loves, but you'll take, you know, the the Joe Burrow. You will take um, the, the Justin Herbert for your starter at Oregon. Like, you can do those sort of things. And I just, I wouldn't be surprised if some teams start thinking about it in that way. Because the second you pay a quarterback that isn't worth it, that premium money, your chance to win a Super Bowl goes down to like 1%. I mean, the Rams are not going to win a Super Bowl paying Jared Goff what they're paying him. They're just not. The Vikings are not going to win a Super Bowl paying Kirk Cousins what they're paying him. Now, they have a better shot than the Rams because the roster's so awesome, but they lost like 10 starters this past year. They lost 10 starters because of what they're paying Kirk Cousins. They can't resign guys. So the, I, I just I think it'll be very interesting to see what the Cowboys do. And, and from Dak Prescott's perspective, I think he's being a little ignorant about the situation. You're the starting quarterback of the Dallas freaking Cowboys on a great roster. If they decide not to pay you and you go to free agency, you really want to be the starting quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders and stink? Because now I understand he's probably a believer in his ability. Well, I'm going to make them good. You're probably not, dude. Like he, we we need to be able to judge ourselves accordingly. And I think that is where he is struggling right now because he's saying, you know, I put up all these stats. I won a playoff game. I've I've brought this team to new heights. This team was floundering, and now we're perennial. You know, uh, we're a perennial playoff team. And he's failing to recognize all the talent that they have around them and how hard, how much significantly harder his job would be if he was, say, the quarterback of the Bengals. Or maybe he goes to the Redskins next year. Maybe he replaces Carr. Or he goes to a situation where the team isn't very good. There's dysfunction in the organization. Uh, you have to understand, like, playing for the Dallas Cowboys if he wins a Super Bowl there, which he could do if he just takes, not even a pay cut, just takes what he's worth, there's the likelihood he wins a Super Bowl in his career or at least plays for 10 to 15 years. They get close. They have a ton of really good teams. He will never, I mean, the the deals he'll make off the field as the a Dallas Cowboys quarterback that started for 10 to 15 years, borderline Hall of Famer. I mean, we don't know how his career is going to pan out, but it's high. Like, you have to realize that. And the story is not going to be the same if you go play for the Las Vegas Raiders and stink and you're out of the league in five years. Or you're a backup, you know, because you couldn't carry the franchise. Your drafting team cares more about you than any other team you'll ever play for. 
The Washington Redskins probably cared more about Kirk Cousins than the Vikings ever will because they invested in him. They picked him. They could have picked anybody on the board and they picked you. So the second they get rid of you, your next team is never going to care about you or be as tied to you as your first franchise is. And I think Dak needs to realize that or he could potentially make a career-altering decision and I think a really bad one. So let's move on. Uh, That's a good good discussion on Prescott. Let's move on to uh, the projections. Nate Davis, USA Today. Just thought it was kind of fun and interesting. Um, He projected, I... uh, I think I tweeted about it. I just quote tweeted it and said Giants aren't going to be that bad because he had the Giants at two and fourteen, and they're they're not going two and fourteen. But uh, you can find it on my Twitter there, or you can go to uh, Nate Davis's profile. It's kind of making its way around Twitter. You won't have to look very hard to find it. He uh, projects the Saints to win the Super Bowl at 12, 12 and four, and I, I wanted to just kind of go through the records real quick. I just thought it would be a fun exercise to see where he sees the league and kind of where I differ. Uh, the first thing that jumps out to me is um, the Steelers at 11 and five. Uh, he has the Ravens winning the division at 13 and three and representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. Don't hate that. I think that's uh, that's not bad. Uh, but the Steelers at 11 and five, I think is just a huge, huge, huge assumption of Big Ben coming back to play and being healthy. I would lean he's not. I would lean you saw the last of Big Ben as a quality quarterback in the NFL. Now, that's just my opinion. I think that you're talking about a guy that's never really had a ton of discipline in his life. I think you're talking about a guy that has gotten older and has been been beat up more than any of the quarterbacks uh, kind of of his peers. Uh, he's been beat up way more than Breeze or Brady or even Rodgers probably, and you just assume that guys can come back from these injuries because we've seen Tom Brady and Drew Brees to a degree defy uh, father time or stave it off. And we're starting to feel like that's the new norm. You can play till you're 40. When those guys are really just outliers, the norm is what's happening to Big Ben. What happened to Peyton Manning? What happened to Eli Manning? They fall off a cliff and... I think that you've probably seen the last of Big Ben playing quality football for the Steelers. I don't know if he starts eight games this year. Uh, so, the, so the Steelers at eleven and five—that's a huge, huge risk to me. Uh, Browns at seven and nine, Bengals at five and eleven. Yeah, it's, that's probably about fair. Uh, the Colts at eleven and five, and the AFC South I think is interesting because you have another guy in which I think you're counting on a quarterback to play well that just wasn't last year. Like, do we think Phil Rivers is going to be dramatically better a year older after he just fell off dramatically physically in 2019? Like, it, it might just, we need to consider the possibility, it might just be over for Phil Rivers. He His arm was writing checks that his body could not cash. And so it's possible that he's just done. So I, it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of rein it in uh, with the Colts this this season and revert back from what he was a season ago with the Chargers because he was just chucking it up. And I think part of that was due to the way the team was assembled, the way the team struggled. But I think we need to consider the possibility that he's just not very good anymore. And so 
Uh, I've seen te- guys very high on the Colts and on the Titans. Texans at eight and eight. I think that's about fair. Um, my one thing is when people get get a little crazy about the Colts and the Titans is the Colts. Huge question at quarterback. And with the Titans, I think you're doing a revisionist history a little bit because of what they did in the playoffs and what when they went to the AFC Championship, shockingly. They didn't even win their own division. I mean, I mean, keep that in mind. I'm a big Titans guy, but they did not win their own division. What makes you think that they're all of a sudden going to win 11, 12 games next year? Uh, they have basically the same roster. So uh, those are those are my hesitations there. Uh, the pa- the Patriots at eight and eight, I think, is is very interesting. They have the Bills winning that division. Bills are building something there for sure. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Josh Allen has that third year breakout um, because one of these quarterbacks from that class, I feel like, is going to establish themselves as a very very talented quarterback uh, from from that draft period. Uh, Sam Darnold. I think has a much less chance to do that because of the roster. But uh, I also think it's a little ignorant to just write the Patriots off at eight and eight. I mean, yeah, it could happen, but even if Stidham's not that good, I think the Patriots as a team will still be pretty, pretty good. If Tua, I, I think the interesting team actually is the Dolphins. Uh, if Tua can start week one, that is, and it feels like that's probably not going to happen with his hip, especially like you don't want to rush your quarterback that you just drafted to be the franchise guy. You don't want to rush a hip injury with him and potentially, you know, ruin his development. But uh, the Dolphins, I think, are a really interesting team with what they were able to achieve under Brian Flores last year with what was clearly the worst roster in football. All the draft picks coming in this year, they get the franchise guy. I, I think that they could be a team to watch this year uh, more so than the Jets. Let's move to the NFC. Uh, Seahawks at nine and seven, I thought was interesting. I think that the Seahawks have just proven time and time again that they're just a winning, winning franchise. But that said, I mean, gun to my head, I'd probably say like 10 and six. So he's just has him a game worse. Niners at 12 and four. I think that's, they're the obvious front runner in the division. I love that he put the Rams down at six and 10 in the cellar in the NFC West. Cause I think that's right. I think the Rams have, uh, committed malpractice in the way they've built their team and the draft picks they've given away and some of the contracts they've given out. It has been a terrible job of managing uh, the roster. I think they've done just an awful job of that, and I think they're going to struggle. That said, they were so dependent on on that zone running scheme, and Cam Akers, I think, has a potential to be a really, really good player. So if he kind of jumps in and fills that role that they were missing once Todd Gurley got hurt, it's conceivable to think that they're right back to the offense they they were when they went to the Super Bowl. It is conceivable. Um, in the NFC North, I, the Bears thirteen and three, and the Lions at seven and nine. Vehemently disagree there. The, the Bears are they could make the playoffs if they have a good, a good quarterback. If they have just decent quarterback play, I mean the roster roster is is especially defensively is awesome. So. Uh, the Bears are not going to win three games. I, I don't I don't care who's starting at quarterback. They're winning more than three games. I would reverse the Lions and the Bears record. I think the Lions are going to be terrible. I think Matt Stafford carries them to what they end up being. And uh, yeah, I mean, maybe they claw their way to six, seven wins because Stafford's just that good. But uh, yeah, as a, as a team and as a roster, and especially the coaching staff they have there, it's a sinking ship in Detroit. Uh, Bucks at 10 and six. Everybody's high on the Bucks this year. Uh, everybody's low on the Panthers. I think the Falcons at nine and seven is a little rich. I think the Falcons could stink. 
could stink. They have all these all these first rounders. That's all I hear on the offensive side of the ball. They have all these first rounders. Well, a lot of the first rounders aren't good players. Like you signed Todd Gurley. Did you, did you watch the Rams offense with Todd Gurley? It wasn't very good. <laughs> so uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Falcons look. They always look great on paper, and then they then they line up on Sunday, and it's like these guys stink. So uh, we'll see how they do. I find it hard to believe they're winning seven games with uh, the Saints and Bucks in their own division being as good as they should be. Uh, Cowboys winning the division at 10 and 6, Eagles at 9 and 7. I think the the NFC least, as I like to joke about them, should be an improved division. It should be a two-headed race. I mean, the bottom two teams have been the bottom two teams for a little while now. Uh, but the Giants should win more than two football games. I think the I'd flip-flop that. Redskins at 5 and 11, Giants at 2 and 14. I would put the Giants at 5 and 11. Redskins at 2-14. and 14. I think the Redskins could just fall apart this year. Now, with Ron Rivera, I respect him. I think he's a good coach. So it's kind of hard to envision them winning two games uh, just because of him alone. But the entire roster is such an unknown at this point that I think it's it's certainly possible uh, that, that the Redskins just end up tanking this year and end up being one of the worst teams in the league. So uh, that'll do it for that. Let's uh, move on to the South here and talk about kind of, I think, the impact players. And then we'll go ahead and get you out of here. We're already at a half hour, so try and be quick. Let's get down to the South. This is the North. I don't want that. Here we go, South. New Orleans Saints. Okay, so the, the Saints got highly criticized for the Cesar Ruiz pick, which I don't really get. I mean, you can never have enough offensive linemen. Now, Cesar Ruiz wasn't considered necessarily a first-round prospect. So if you reached on him, that is going to get you into trouble. But they took a guy in Zach Bond who was a borderline first-rounder in the third round, has some injury concerns, is why I heard he fell. Uh, but he fits perfectly into that defense and should be a pretty, uh, again, just another solid starter on that defense that has so many of them. They get Adam Troutman, tight end out of Dayton. I really liked Adam Troutman. I think he can be a really good player, especially since he goes to Sean Payton and Drew Brees. I think Adam Troutman could be kind of a guy you look up as you're like, who the hell is he? Where did he come from? I think he could end up being a very solid player at the tight end position for a New Orleans. On to the Falcons. AJ, I did not like their draft. Yeah. AJ Terrell at 16, I thought was a huge reach. Uh, I, don't, I just don't think he's that good. Uh, Marlon Davidson, round two. I don't think he's that good. He played edge for Auburn. He's going to have to kick in to uh, de-tackle in the NFL. And I just, I'm not in love with the skill set. Uh, Matt Hennessy out of Temple. I do like him. I think he's a very good player. Uh Michael Walker out of Fresno State. Yeah, the rest of their guys I've never really heard of. Uh, so yeah, I didn't love the Falcons draft. I mean, that coupled with their signings, which I didn't love. I guess it's not surprising that I'm kind of down on the Falcons. I just, feel, I just feel like, and I do think Quinn is a decent coach. I just, I, I don't know. It just, it, you, you look at it on paper and it doesn't feel like it's that bad. But then I've watched so many of their games on Sunday and done so many of their their all routes for, uh, for PFF and they, they just stink. They just they just don't play very well, 
And uh, I don't think they did anything to change that. And I think the division around them got a lot better. So I'm not very high on the Falcons this year. Tampa Bay Bucks, I think, did a nice job to improve uh, their team. Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle from Iowa, I don't think he's as finished of a product. But he played uh, right tackle for Iowa. They can drop him in at right tackle since they already have a left tackle to protect Tom, which I think is awesome. They needed a day one starter. You're kind of the instant you sign a 40 plus year old quarterback, you're in win now mode. They also took the safety out of Minnesota. People really like him, a little undersized, but he should add to a secondary that is rapidly improving. The Keyshawn Vaughn running back out of Vanderbilt, love him. I love him. I think he's going to be a fantasy draft. He's going to be a guy that that you look at because he should be able to get the starting job there. He should be able to beat, beat out Ronald Jones. I did a decent, it, it was just a weird year. I did a lot of Vanderbilt games and he, uh, Lipscomb, the wide receiver and Pinckney, the tight end. I just thought that they, they were the entire offense and Keyshawn Vaughn in particular, it was incredible watching him. His yards after contact, his ability to rip off long gains. I think he was one of the college's best at uh, 50 plus runs. He had like eight of them this past year. And if it wasn't for him, Vandy would get shut out most most weekends. But he was he was just awesome. And, and they knew he was going to run it every time and he would still be able to rip off these long gains. They also picked up Tyler Johnson in the fifth round, which is an awesome, awesome flyer uh, that could really help the team and give Tom Brady yet another guy to throw to. So let's go down to the Panthers. Derek Brown out of Auburn, top 10 pick. Then they followed up with Yaturgo's models, which I love. And then they get Jeremy Chin a couple picks later. So their top three picks, I think it's very clear. Uh, And Matt Rule has said this. He said, you know, my teams are always going to be fast. And that's that's what he got in Jeremy Chin. And in Troy Pride, the corner out of Notre Dame too. Kenny Robinson, the guy from uh, the Battle Hawks, they took in the fifth round too. Uh, Out of West Virginia, shocker out of the Big 12, Matt Rule, coach at Baylor, goes, yeah, that guy's pretty freaking good. So uh, they take him, and I, I, I love what they did, kind of remaking the defense. I think they should have a really good defense when you look up in a couple years because uh, Dante Jackson, the corner they have now, is not a number one corner, but he's about as solid of a number two as you can get. Derek Brown and Yuturgos Matos should dramatically improve the defensive line. Jeremy Chin should dramatically help the safety position and give them kind of a hybrid to play down in the box. Uh, and Kenny Robinson, another guy that can play in the secondary with Troy Pride. Like they, they went heavy defense in this draft, and I think they should have. You already have Christian McCaffrey. You signed Teddy Bridgewater to address the quarterback position. You got DJ Moore and Kristen San- Chris. Uh, Curtis Samuel out on the edge. I think they did a really nice job. Uh, on to that was the NFC South. Where's the AFC South? It's all out of order. I don't like it. Why? Like, why are we jumping to the NFC West in this article? I don't know. Uh, sorry, guys. AFC South. Here we go. Tennessee Titans, uh, Isaiah Wilson, right tackle out of Georgia. Again, fits a need. They lost Jack Conklin. They can plug and play with Isaiah Wilson, who it's just a perfect fit. He's a great run blocking tackle. He fits their scheme and what they're trying to do. Big guy, mauls people. Very much an unfinished product in pass protection. That's where he struggles. So, uh, But I accurately predicted in the mock draft that they would take him. So uh, Isaiah Wilson to Georgia at pick 29. 
Uh, I like the pick from a scheme fit, and I think they really crushed it with the second pick in Christian Fulton. For whatever reason, guys got down on him in the draft process, and I think it's because he played across from Derek Stingley Jr. He's going to be a top 10 pick. He was a true freshman this past year at LSU. Awesome, awesome player. And so I think he gets lost in the limelight a little bit, and he uh, got beat for some plays because teams targeted him and targeted him and targeted him because they didn't want to go at Stingley. But uh, Christian Fulton's a really good player, especially since he goes to the Titans in a good defense. I think he's going to have a very good pro career. They get Darrington Evans to kind of maybe be the uh, the uh, slash to the thunder uh, of Derrick Henry. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, Deion Lewis wasn't wasn't really giving them what they needed. So Darrington Evans, I think, uh, is kind of the hope to uh, take a stab at kind of that change of pace back. Houston Texans take uh, Ross Blacklock out of TCU. Really like him at uh, pick 40. Again, borderline first-round talent. They get him in the second round. Got to like the value there, especially when you don't have a uh, first-round pick. I think that's really the only guy they got out of out of this draft, though, that's going to do anything. John Reed, the corner out of Penn State, just watched him in a game I did for PFF. Eh, he's okay. Uh, Jonathan Greenard, outside linebacker out of Florida. I don't really see the fit there. And uh, I, the other guys, I just don't think are really going to have an impact. But Ross Blacklock should start on that team for a while. The Indianapolis Colts loved their draft. I mean, uh, it's it's just some guys are just good at this and others aren't. And uh, Chris Ballard, the GM in Indy, Indy, is just, he's proven that he is really good at this drafting stuff. He gets Michael Pittman uh, with the second pick in the second round. A guy I thought the Packers might target. Uh, I think they would have targeted him in the second, but he didn't make it there, obviously. Uh, I think he will give them a playmaker on the outside for sure. Then they come back and they get Jonathan Taylor, which I think is awesome. I mean, they are, they already had Marlon Mack. So I was a little confused at the pick. thought they would have went a different direction. But Jonathan Taylor as a player, I, I thought he was a first-round player. Yeah, you can't really throw it to him out of the backfield. Yeah, he, he doesn't really fit that mold of what you want in a, in a first-round running back. So from a positional value, I understand why he doesn't go in the first. And maybe I wouldn't have taken that, taken him there either. But I think he's a first-round talent in terms of running the football, which is should be his job. And I think he will dramatically improve the, the rush offense for Indy. And when you combine him with Marlon Mack, boy, I think that they should be able to run the ball all day long with uh, Quentin Nelson and some of the guys they have up front. They shouldn't have to rely on Phillip in the passing game all that much. Uh, Julian Blackman, safety out of Utah, got Utah got him in uh, round three, and then they took a flyer on Jacob Eason in the fourth round. You look up, that guy could be starting next year. Uh, could be very, very interesting. He is the the traditional quarterback, big arm, tall kid. Uh, just I, I just don't think he's very good. Can't see pressure. Uh, you know who I love that they got in round six? Robert Windsor, defensive tackle out of Penn State, bad body guy. But all he did was produce in college. And I he, I watched him in the Penn State-Iowa game this past weekend, and he just wrecked the interior offensive lineman for Iowa. Just wrecked him. And so he, he's not like a physical specimen. He just doesn't really have very good physical traits. But if you're going on production, this guy was just awesome. He just created tons of havoc. So you take a flyer on him in the sixth round, I kind of like that. Even if he doesn't pan out, I mean, whatever. Six-round pick. Let's go to the Jags. And then we will wrap it up. The Jags took C.J. Henderson at pick nine, which I think is a really good pick. Uh, he got really hyped up in the draft process, 
and a lot of people I talk to really like him, and I like him too. He is a great, he has the best chance beyond Okuda to be, you know, that lockdown man-to-man guy. And then they followed up with Caleb on Chase on. They get Visca Chenault in the second round. I love their first three picks. I think they made the team dramatically better. A good first step towards rebuilding a roster with a completely new, uh, I mean, I mean, they're hitting the reset button in a sense. So I really like what they did with the first three picks. Ben Barch out of St. John's, kind of like him. Josiah Scott out of Michigan State should be a good slot corner. Uh, Shaq Quarterman, uh, comp pick that he got from the Bears in the fourth round. Again, not the not the best physically, but led that Miami defense was the captain of that defense and could end up being a starter on that team for a little while. Uh, Colin Johnson, big body wide receiver out of Texas in the fifth round. I I think they did a fine job. I don't think they hit on any late round gems here. Shaq Quarterman could end up hitting, I suppose. Actually, I can see Josiah Scott and Shaq Quarterman being pretty good players. And Ben March. All three of their fourth round picks, I I like them. Uh, So I think one of those three has a decent chance to pan out and uh, be a starter on the team throughout the rookie contract. But that'll wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. And we will see you next week.